Good morning. It is Monday, August 10th, and we're doing some real estate market research here for Colorado, and um, but largely actually for the national national market at the moment in terms of foreclosures, forbearance, short sales. Um, every I've been getting a lot of questions on that, and this is a perfect article. Um, it's a Wall Street Journal article on foreclosure forecasts, essentially, sent over by Lon Welsh, so I can... So I could read it. Um, essentially, the notes for Colorado um, is that we don't really think that it's going to be too likely that we're going to see a bunch of foreclosures or or um, short sales. Um, a big reason for this is that the lenders that can allow a forbearance client to add missed payments to the end of the loan are unlikely to see defaults. So especially here in Colorado, we're seeing that as long as forbearance is used, since the vast majority of people who um, have mortgages are actually those middle to upper class jobs, that we didn't see quite as much, quite as much uh, job losses. Um, they'll they'll be able to make those up. So so we're not seeing, we're not guessing there's going to be too many foreclosures, short short sales due to forbearance, so long as the lender offers the ability for them to pay that back in. Um, throughout a period of time with the missed payments. Um, however, if the lender's not able to do that, um, it could actually trigger financial distress. So essentially what that means is if the lenders come back and they're like, hey, we actually need this payment right now, um, then that could absolutely uptick foreclosures and short sales in Colorado. However, the thing to note is that in Colorado, most everyone will have enough equity to sell their homes. So that's like kind of the, the get out in Colorado at the moment is that the equity and the appreciation that have lasted um, will will allow the vast majority of people to get out if something something terrible were to start happening. So now diving into diving into some national st- statistics because I think this is super interesting and we have to know what's going on around us because Colorado, I mean, it isn't its own bubble, right? It, it, it's influenced by the nation. It's influenced by the world. So whatever we see going on nationally, internationally, it catches up. Colorado catches up to it and we will feel the effects, maybe slightly insulated because of the economy and everything like that or that's uh, bursting in Denver and the people coming here and the, the low inventory. However, um, we ha- we should really look at national national stats so that we can orient ourselves. So looking at mortgage delinquencies, sorry, excuse me, mortgage delinquencies tumbled as loans shifted forbearance. So essentially, what that means is quarter quarterly transition rates for current mortgage accounts. We're seeing that there are still very very low a very low number like like. Between 2008 and 2014, we saw like upwards of nearly 1% of people or half a percent to 1% of people that were 90 plus days late, right? And then in right now, right now in 2020, we're seeing less than like 0.2% is what it really looks like, 0.1% of people who are 90 plus days late on their mortgage. However, looking at people that are 30 to 60 days late, that's actually at under half a percent as well. Whereas in 2008 to 2009, that was all the way up to 
about 3.25%. So overall, in, in terms of transition rates for current mortgage accounts, people, we aren't seeing an insane amount of, we're actually pretty dang low in, in comparison to, to especially the later two, 2000s and early teens. So that's, that's a pretty cool thing to see, and we'll, we'll get to see how, that's, um, how that continues to change. And moving on here, so foreclosures dropped off as the CARES Act went into effect, which is what we wanted, right? Um, CARES Act goes into effect. People don't lose their homes. They can pay for um, their mortgages and don't have to to short sale or foreclose. Number of consumers with new foreclosures and bankruptcies. So in January of 2020, we had about 25,000 foreclosures and about 55,000 bankruptcies. Um it keeps going up through February and March. In February, we had about 30,000 foreclosures and nearly 85,000 um, bankruptcies. March, again, even up um, closer to 40,000 foreclosures and, and yeah, over 80,000 80, bankruptcies again. But hang on there. April, May, and June, they all went down significantly, honestly, between between 10,000 and like 15,000 foreclosures. So that's nearly half. And then as well as bankruptcies went down, not quite as much as half, but um, a considerable amount as well. Like in April, we went to about 40,000 bankruptcies as opposed to, I mean, in March, it was nearly 85,000. So that's a considerable drop. But in May and June, it has been going slowly up for bankruptcies going from 40,000 to f around 50,000 to around 60,000. So I'm really interested to see what bankruptcies are going to do for July and August. Um, and yeah, so then let's, and moving into, so that's kind of one section. We're going to move into the labor market now because clearly foreclosures and forecasting that, um, it doesn't start with missing a payment on your home, right? It starts with losing a job or starts with money being tight in general. So let's let's look at the labor market a little bit. With unemployment applications, or unemployment applications declined last week to the lowest level since March, which is which is cool. It's actually gone down 22% um, with the, sorry, the pandemic. Unemployment application initial claims have gone down 22%. Um, well, actually, a lot, but 22% in just like the last week. Um, and we've been seeing just a, a down tumble. Initially, around March 15th-ish, we started seeing just a couple initial claims um, by August. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The other, the other A month. By April, um, the... We're around six or seven million um, people unemployment applications, and then as the pandemic unofficial, uh, well, unemployment application initial claims came in, we started seeing that like it nearly the the initial claims went down considerably. However, the pandemic unemployment application initial claims, it's it's been very consistent throughout this throughout um, the last few months. How many people are getting or how are how many people are applying for unemployment applications due to the pandemic claims essentially so that's just it's it's just showing us that there's still 
just a few months ago, we had nearly over 6 million people on unemployment um, applications coming in. And now, as of kind of just in the last month or so, it's gone, the applications have gone down to around a million in initial claims and a little less than another million in the pandemic unemployment applications initial claim. Um, so that's just obviously, I, just, I don't know if that was at all legible in, or uh, intelligible, but it's just going through the some a trend for unemployment benefits, showing how the initial claims and the pandemic unofficial or unemployment application initial claims compared. The total number of Americans receiving unemployment benefits remi- remains near records hi- record highs. It's ab- above 30 million, which that's pretty insane. This is this is the continuing unemployment claims in all programs, January 4th, 2020 through July 18th, 2020. A lot of that, honestly, we're seeing with the pandemic. You see the bottom, the unemployment benefits kind of have about 20 million um, going. And then with the pandemic, it's added another 10, 11 million people to it. So that's, that is uh, considerable. Um, pandemic unemployment assistance, that's what PUA is, is the federal program for workers who are out of work because of the virus, but who are not eligible for regular state unemployment insurance benefits, the self-employed. So that's kind of like realtors. Look at that. And obviously this year's layoffs have been unprecedented in recent decades. Like we haven't seen unemployment like jobs cut and demand a demand downturn as we have essentially what that's meaning is that in the last just in the last year this year since basically february march um we've been seeing nearly 60,000 jobs cut and i mean that's that's ridiculous there's Looking at this chart from 2012 all the way to 2000 and the beginning part of 20, the max we've ever seen job cuts is about 10,000. And and in 2020, we have seen it go up to 55,000, back down to 18,000, and then back up to over just about over 60,000. So that's a lot of job cuts, a lot of people out of work. However, Morgan Stanley expects today's payrolls report to show a gain of 2 million in July. So that is showing like we 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 lost so much money um basically March, April, May, and so it's good to see like a a slight uptick in the last in the last couple months. Um just slowly recovering is what it seems like. The firm sees the unemployment rate dropping to 10.2%. So, essentially from the end of 2019, so <laughs> just in the pandemic, it went unemployment rates went all the way up to 15-ish percent. And then, as of July, we're at 10.2%, according to Morgan Stanley. So, that's that's good. We're, we're coming back down, which is a nice, nice sign to see. Hopefully, it continues on. really depends on if the virus shuts things down again, how the, how the economy can continue running. The trajectory of the U.S. unemployment will determine the number of evictions, which that's pretty obvious why <laughs> if you aren't 
employed, then you can't, you know, pay for your rent um, or your mortgage. So a good thing to know is that unemployment is supposed to peak in October. And this is an interesting... Oh, sorry, this is, yeah, number of evictions to peak in October. And why this is interesting is because it kind of shows you the the overall trend for how long it can take for an economic collapse or economic hardship to hit the market. Because sometimes, oftentimes people have, hopefully they have some reserves to keep them in, keep them going and living for a while. But then after those reserves run out, if they don't have a job, that's where you start seeing evictions and that, that kind of, that kind of thing roll around. So in October, American eviction risk is nearly up to 26 million. And in June of 2020, it was only at around 9.5, somewhere between 6.3 and 9.5 million. And yeah, September 15.3 million to 23 million. Uh, And then in December, we'll have about 21 million to 14 million. Um, If we're looking at this, the about 30% of renters are unemployed, about 25, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Um, there are different lines on here, and essentially, it's just those numbers that range I gave you were dependent on 30% renters unemployed, 25% renters unemployed, and 20% renters unemployed. So that's basically just taking how many people we think that are renters that won't have a job for the next X period amount of time. And it's following that if 30% of the renters are unemployed, then in September, October, we could see potentially like 23 million people-ish, like with the risk of potential eviction. If 25% of renters are unemployed, we'll get 19.1 million around October of potential risk eviction. And then if 20% of renters are unemployed, we'll have 15.3 million. So that's quite a few people who could potentially be looking for a cheaper apartment, trying to get out of their their rents or be evicted, um, and have to have to kind of start start over again. And and um, so I'm I'm looking forward to being there for those people and and helping them out. But hopefully the job market just turns and we can start working again. Um. So then. Next is a couple high-frequency indicators. Um, it's showing that small business revenue is bouncing back. In April of 2020, um, we had dropped all the way to 45%, negative 45% of small business revenue. Um, and that's up from, in February of 2020, we we're up 15%. So that is a wild swing. That is like a 60% swing. And then as of April third 2020 that's kind of when we saw the the bottom a like middle beginning middle of april by may 20th we're back up to about 35 and then as of the end of july beginning of august we are uh in between 10 and 20 percent underneath um overall we're right about right around 10 percent so that is awesome. We're seeing a little bit of small business revenue kick back up. However, we obviously need to obviously need to keep working on that and keep paying attention to that and hopefully supporting those local businesses. Um, now this is kind of interesting. US small business revenue by state status. So what we're seeing is that states that have reopened, they're seeming to have 
yeah, they're seeming to have the highest, best small business revenue. Um, tra- trending just a little bit, on average, 10%, 10 to 12% better than than the states that are reopening. Um, and then just slightly better than the states that are pausing or the states that are reversing. States that are reversing are actually very, very close to the states that have opened. So that's really interesting. Um, really interesting patterns here that, I mean, small business revenue by states that have opened and closed. It is, I mean, they follow the same exact pattern, but there there are slight variations. Next, we're kind of going through um, consumer sentiment, which honestly, in beginning of 2020, went from 65. <laughs> consumer sentiment went from above 65, more like 67, all the way down to below 35 in like March of 2020. Now, where we're at now is about 45%. So we've gone from that 35 to that 45. So we've upticked 10. However, we are still at this point. 20 off where we were at the end of last year. So we're hopefully going to continue to just drive that up. The gains, why the gains were not the gains. The gains were driven by the youngest and the oldest cohorts. So what that means is 18 through 34 is the youngest and 65 plus is the oldest. So sentiment among all the middle groups in the middle declined. So that's basically just saying old people and young people are being more optimistic and the people in the middle are not. And then a little bit, the the last thing we're going to kind of go through right here, some updates on consumer credit. And most of the increase in mortgage originations this year was driven by borrowers with the highest credit scores. That makes sense because this last year we had incredible opportunity with really, really low mortgage rates. We still do. But however, we're in coronavirus now, so whoever can take advantage of that is limited. Um, but at the beginning of the year especially, we were seeing people's dollar being able to go further than it's ever gone before. Especially if you have high credit scores, you're able to come in and, and get a really good deal on a loan. So that's why we're seeing, um, well, we saw that pattern, but that's why, in my opinion, why we saw it. Um, as a comparison, um, we're going to compare it against the dis- distribution of credit scores for new auto loans. And this is just, uh, it's essentially a chart that I'm having to look at. However, we're seeing that in here it wasn't exactly uh, quite a few 760 pluses. Um, quite a few 720 to 760s, a good lump of like 660 to 720, not that many 620 to 670, and then actually a surprising amount of um, below 620. So again, though, what we're seeing here is even on mortgage applications, you're getting a, a nice variation Um Predominantly, though, you're still seeing people with good credit scores. Um, the sharp gains in the median price of homes sold this year reflect not only home price appreciation, but also improved sales of higher-end homes with the better credit scores. Um, again, we're seeing that it's seller seller's market median prices of holds sold by week. Um, 2020 is 
outpacing both 2018 and 2019. Um, 2018, I mean, all, yeah, 2018 was, yeah, prices have just continued to go up. We've kind of seen that around um, 6% overall from um, 1970 through 2020 so far, and on the average price of that this year, we've gone down a little bit, but, or it's down ticked a little bit, but overall, the appreciation is still just insane. So even though we're seeing it appreciate just slightly more um, or slightly less, it's still appreciating. And, and median prices of homes in the area are still going up. Mortgage delinquencies tumbled as loans shifted forbearance. So that was that was really that was really helpful. Forbearance does help people. And yeah, I think that's kind of what we're gonna go through today. So. Today we saw that that foreclosures, we're not thinking they're going to be the biggest thing unless there's a big second financial collapse or big second um, yeah, lockdown where people can't work. And then if there is that, then that may there might be continued problems and we will see an uptick in foreclosures and short, short sales. However, if we can get back to work pretty decently and and even those people in Colorado, or we should be fine on on foreclosure payments and not missing, not being delinquent. Um, however, the thing to to realize also is that most homeowners haven't lost their jobs. Um, it was mainly low wage renters who lost their jobs, and which again just makes it so difficult to to enter into the Colorado real estate world. But that's why I got it. That's why I'm good at what I do. I can I can do that. So. Um, the other cool thing is to remember about the equity. So most Colorado homeowners have enough equity to sell their home if they do actually get into trouble. So we're in a really good, uh, we're, I just like Colorado. I like working in Colorado. Honestly, I think it makes it a little bit easier and, um, the potential is just skyrocketing. So I hope that there aren't too many foreclosures coming up or short sales. If there are, um, that's going to be one of my specialties so I can help out with that. However, I hope that people are don't lose their homes, you know? So, sweet. Thank you for joining me this morning, and let's go do some real estate.